We've got Matthew 22 marked. We've got uh, Genesis chapter 1 uh, marked. And I, one reminder, then we'll pray and we'll study. A reminder is this, is that we do this week after week after week. And, and we come here, we worship, and that it just kind of creates this separation between what's been happening in the world and gets our eyes and our minds focused on celebrating the Lord and reminding us who He is. And then we come into to the Word together. And it's not necessarily, this time is not necessarily meant to change the way you feel. Uh, but it's meant to change the way you think. And if, we, and if God can change the way you think, then that will change the way you feel. So this time is meant to change the way you think. Meant to change the way, unless you're already thinking properly. It's meant to change the way you think about God. Maybe it's meant to change the way you think about yourself. Or maybe it's meant to change the way you think about the world that we live in. And then if those things change, then, then you will find your feelings changing accordingly. So that's what this time is about. That's what this time is for. God is teaching us because there are so many misunderstandings, aren't there, about who God is and what he's like. And so many people come here and they say, if I go into church, the the roof is going to cave in. Well, wait till you read the parable we're going to study today. It will blow your mind. It's fantastic stuff. So uh, just keep in mind, that's what this this learning time is about. It's not just about knowledge. It's about knowing him personally, knowing Jesus. So let's pray. And then we'll get into the word together. Father, uh, I do pray that we are being transformed from one level of glory to even greater levels of glory as you renew our minds. Lord, we just confess to you that we grew up having learned a lot of nonsense, having misunderstood who we are, having neglected who you are, having learned and taken our cues from the world. And we just confess that we had it backwards. Lord, we just come to you this morning and we say we want to know you. We want to know you personally, intimately, and in knowing you to be changed by you, to be transformed as our minds are renewed. Lord, you are doing such a great work in in individual lives, setting people free, calling them... uh, to service, gifting them, redeeming them, forgiving them. Lord, you are so wonderful, so powerful. And we just bow the knee again today and acknowledging that uh, heaven rules and your word endures forever. And we pray and we give thanks in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen, amen. Matthew uh, chapter 22, we are uh, going to look at one more parable uh, in a set really of three parables. We looked at two others the last, over the last couple of weeks. It began, really this discussion began back in chapter 21. Remembering now it's Passion Week and Jesus has merely days before, before he um, is crucified and buried and then rises again, uh, and then ultimately ascends to be with his father. Uh, the cross, of course, standing uh, between that, that event and where we are now. So merely days left, and, and he is teaching, he is pleading. He is pleading with his people to be saved, to accept him as their king. 
But they have such a system of religion set up that is based on them that they, they cannot see him. He's not what they expected. He's not what they wanted. Uh, and so it has really uh, become confrontational. And they ask him as he goes into the temple. He cleans out the, he overturns the tables of the money changers. And, and they challenge him, who are you to do these things, Jesus? I mean, you're just a carpenter from Galilee, from nowhere. And here you are in our temple, uh, challenging our teaching this way. What are, where, how do you have this authority? And so these parables, uh, these three parables, the third one we'll read today, discuss that very issue. The first one was the parable of the two sons. And that looks at uh, Jesus' challenges the way that they had obeyed or disobeyed the commandments of God. They had neglected his, uh, God's authority. And, and that's it's, it's applicable because you might sit here in church, but the question is, are you really under God's authority? Is God really the, the head of you? Is he, is he in charge or are you still in charge? And if you say, well, yeah, I'm sort of, I come and I sing and I listen, but I still make my own decisions, then you're just like the Pharisees. Except maybe you look a little bit better in some ways, you know. So two sons, say the, the father says, go work in the, in the vineyard. The one son says, I'm not going to go. But then he goes, he obeys ultimately. Even though he didn't obey at first, he then does obey, and that's a picture of the, the Gentiles, the non-Jews, who at first had no, no interest in God's commands, no interest in God, but then chose to respect his commands and follow and, and do what he said. Whereas the, the Jews are like the, the first son that's mentioned there, who, um, no, I'm sorry, the second son, who said, oh yes, we'll do it, and then they never did. They said, oh yes, we keep the commandments, but Jesus would say, if you're angry at your brother, you know, you've committed murder and, and they've committed adultery and these kind of things by lusting after a woman in their heart. So they would say, oh, yes, we, we do it. But then they would not. They didn't. And then the next parable was how they deal with stewardship. Again, God being the owner of the land and then being simply stewards, vine dressers to care for what was God's. They wanted it them, themselves. They wanted to be in charge, just like many of you. We want to be in charge of our lives. We want to be in charge of what God has given to us and make decisions with it. And that's what they had done. And so he takes and he, and he gives that vineyard to other vine dressers. Again, to the church, the, the Gentiles now uh, get what they rejected or what, by rejecting God. And then this third parable, it's not about stewardship. It's not about obeying commands. It's just about an, it's receiving an invitation. Just simply about how they would receive God's invitation. And I'll read it to you, and then we'll uh, look at it in depth. So we are in chapter 22, verse 1. Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner my oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious. And he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. 
So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a, a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Four, verse 14 tells us, many are called, but few are chosen. So this third parable is about a king who arranges a marriage for his son. And that's how marriages happen, especially, I would imagine, among royalty. Uh, even today, very careful about how royal, when you're royalty, how you marry, who you marry. Uh, oftentimes alliances are forged through marriages in royalty and weddings. Uh, so they had a, he had arranged this marriage. This, I thank God that he chooses to use a weddings and not funerals to illustrate his kingdom, right? Because you look at the church sometimes, you look at, at the people that serve God, and sometimes it's like, you know, the kingdom of God is like a funeral. And all the mourners came, mourning all that they had given up to be there Sunday, you know, whatever it might be. God uses and picks this as an illustration of the kingdom, a wedding. And this would have been, a, a, I mean, we've been to weddings, right? Some of them are just, some of them can get ugly, uh, but some of them are great times of joy, celebration. I mean, uh, I have a, a very memorable wedding that we went to as a family. It was someone in Helga's family. I mean, it was awesome. The food was incredible. I mean, it just kept coming. It was an Italian wedding. And it was like course after course and an all-you-could-eat dessert buffet. And I love tiramisu. I don't know if you guys have ever had that. I love tiramisu. And they had, it's like all-you-could-eat. And we ate it all, I think. Man, it was awesome. And now that was just a, a, a human person, just a normal average Joe wedding. Now imagine a royal wedding. How many of you w- w- well, will admit that you watched the royal wedding on TV? Maybe you did. Maybe you didn't. Kate and William's wedding just uh, not too long ago. Any idea how much that wedding cost? I, I'm going to tell you. Estimated cost of the royal wedding, $34 million. That's not even close to what Charles and Diana's wedding cost, $110 million. Average cost of a U.S. wedding? 27000 Cost of Kate's wedding gown, gown uh, $434,000. Average amount in the United States, $1,099. Cost of two wedding cakes. Any, uh, any guesses? Uh, in, in the United States, one wedding cake, $540. Cost of their two wedding cakes, $80,000. 600 guests for the Queen's luncheon reception. And it goes on and on. Uh, this is maybe something we don't have to worry about. Cost of security for Will and Kate's wedding. $33 million paid by taxpayers. Uh, that compared to the cost of security for the G20 conference in London in 2009, a mere $12 million for security for that. Now, but here's the interesting one, okay? For those of you that know me, um, this one is interesting. If you're looking for a, a birthday present for me, my birthday's in June. And here's something you can maybe find for me. The winning auction bid for a pair of William and Kate Pez dispensers, mm-hmm. $13,000. So if you're looking for a gift for me, you guys know I, I run around with, I don't know if I can get out of my pocket, I run around with these little Pez dispensers, and I give the kids Pez, I bribe them to like me. Um, 
some of you may think that's weird, but it works, okay? Last time you'll be at this church. So now imagine you're sitting at home and you get an invitation to Will and Kate's wedding. I mean, this is a huge event. And, and so this kingdom of heaven is like a certain king. The prince is getting married. And he wants his friends uh, and close acquaintances to celebrate with him. So he sends out servants, verse 3, to call those who were invited to the wedding. Now that's interesting. There's a double calling because things were different in those days. They didn't have freezers and caterers and all that stuff. So, uh, and the way it worked was that the wedding would be arranged between the fathers and agreed upon. And then a period of time would pass, understood, a period of almost up to a year sometimes between when the actual betrothal took place, the engagement, and then the, act, the wedding. So the invitations would go out and said, hey, my son is, is betrothed, he's going to be married, but then he has to go back and build a house for uh, he and his bride-to-be. So while that's happening, the bride and the guests are waiting. So they expect it's going to be some time. And then when the time comes, when it's time for the wedding, when the groom comes for his bride, the invitations go out uh, from the father to all the guests that had been invited who were waiting and expecting to come for the wedding. And they'd been prepared. So then the idea is that those who had been invited are now called, hey, today's the day. Get ready, come on down, the, the wedding is happening. And, and every time we, we, these parables are meant to be stunning. They're meant to, to, to be unbelievable. They're meant to be shocking. Every, you know, you think about the parables, the parable of a guy who sells everything he has to buy one treasure. The parable of a mustard seed that grows so big there's always some odd twist or weird turn that, you, that catches your attention. And sometimes if you're not familiar with culture, you might miss it or you're not thinking about it. So he invites him to come to a royal wedding. I mean, would you go? You're darn right we'd go. We would be there. But look at that. Look, here's, the, here's the twist. And they were not willing to come. Wait a second. Not willing to come? Well, it's a royal wedding. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be, you know, you go to a wedding, sometimes you go just out of honor for the people that are throwing it. You go because you've been invited. They weren't, it doesn't say they couldn't come. It says they weren't willing. It's a matter of the will. So the king now, maybe confused, maybe thought, ah, the message wasn't clear. So verse 4 Again, he sent out other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. I mean, the, the, the shrimp is on the barbie. It's, now's the time. And again, what we see here, first, I think what you're meant to see is the grace of the king. Not just one invitation, but a second invitation. Hey, maybe they didn't understand the first time. So I'll send, maybe it got confused. I'll send another invitation. And who are these guests in the parable? Who, remember, a parable is a, an earthly story that has a heavenly meaning. It's an illustration. It's an, it's an analogy meant to take you and show you a truth in an area you understand so you can understand and apply that in an area you're being taught about. So if you understand about guests not coming to a royal celebration... 
then you understand about the Jews not coming to, to celebrate with their, uh, the king's son with the king. You see, this was the, the Jews are the Jews were the son who didn't obey. The Jews were the, the vine dressers who killed and wanted to take the, the vineyard for themselves. And the Jews are here, these initial and get, the guests who were initially invited, these were God's chosen people. The, the privilege, these, were, the, these were, were those that were close to God. And, and yet now, when it's time to come, the second invitation, you know, the prophets had sent uh, and, and asked them to come, and now John the Baptist had asked them to come. Jesus himself is asking them to come. And Jesus would say, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how long I have wanted to gather you under my wings. Like a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you were not willing you wouldn't. You wouldn't let me gather you. And so they weren't willing to come in the grace of God. He sends second invitation. Certainly when they hear, they'll understand and then they'll come. You almost start to feel for the king, don't you? I mean, you ever had a party and no one came? Or like you, you had a big, you, you put a lot of time and effort and energy into throwing a party and, and a lot of people canceled last minute? We do that, don't we? And, and only a few people showed up. Imagine how the king is feeling. Well, what happens? Certainly after the second invitation, they'll come, right? And everything's ready. Come to the wedding. Come on, come on. Verse 5. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. If you like to take notes, made light of it. Literally the word neglect or careless. You see, they could care less about the invitation. And you know, this has application to us, doesn't it? This has application to you, to me, to our day and age. Absolutely. God is continually inviting. He desires you to be there celebrating with him. And a lot of people, they're just not willing. I mean, I sat on the downtown mall Friday night and watched two girls or three girls from UVA with a sign that said free hugs. They were giving out free hugs in the downtown mall. A lot of people were willing to receive a free hug. But when we go down there to share the gospel, there's a lot of people not willing to hear that God loves them, that God is inviting them to spend eternity with him. And they're just not willing. And well, what gets in the way? What's the problem? Why were they careless? Well, or, or, or what did they do instead? No, they, they just went their way. One to his own farm, another to his own business. They had better things to do. They were so focused on the here and now, they were so earthbound. They said, well, you know, and here's the issue. Isn't it, isn't it true that with us, when there are, our schedules get busy, when there are choices to be made, we look, we sit down with the family, oh, man, we're so busy. We got this, this night, we got that, that night. Something's got to give. Yeah, I guess we're not going to be able to go to Bible study anymore. I'm tired from work this week. Man, I guess I just whew, have to put church off till next week. And isn't that, you know, look, I love coming here to be with you guys Sunday morning. I love coming to celebrate Jesus Christ with you. There are times, and there's times we don't feel like it, right? There are times where we don't feel like it. And, and these guys were not willing. It's not that they didn't feel like it. It's not that they had better things to do. And there are times in your life where you do what you're not willing to do because you need the paycheck. So you don't feel like going to work, but you go anyway. So it's, don't tell me you can't, you, I, I just can't believe. I just can't. I, I know there's an invitation, but I just can't make myself accept it. Yes, you can. 
You do it every time you don't feel like going somewhere, but you do it anyway. And you go. You do it. And every time, I, I, I just feel so much better. I never have regretted going to Bible. I never left Bible study and go, man, I really regret I did that. Many late nights I've sat up playing some stupid video game or watching a silly TV show and going, ah, I can't believe I did that again. You know, I just burned another two hours on that thing. But never have I left Bible study. Never have I talked to someone who's come out on a Wednesday night or to a home group who said, you know, I didn't really feel like coming and, and I, I came anyway, but boy, I really regret it. I really wish I'd stayed home and watched Scrubs or something like that. I don't even know what's on, on TV. But. And, and so there's, a, there's, there's something that we don't want to be careless either of the invitation of God. He invites you to celebrate with him, Jesus Christ. And so, but some of you, it's, you know, well, you, you want to earn your first million or you've got work, work is busy. I've got things to do. Um, so be careful. And so, so some go to the farm and, you know, there's, there's farm work to be done. There's things that have to happen and, and whatnot. And, and others to their big business, to their emporia in the Greek, you're building your empire. And so that God is kind of, what, what is it that gives, folks, when our schedules are too busy? When we've got so much going on, what is it that usually gives? It's usually the things of God, isn't it? Because God is not right here physically saying, we need you to do this. We need you to, because we've got all these influences in our lives that are demanding our time. And because God speaks only in a still small voice, we tend to listen to the really loud and nagging voice, and we do what is emergent rather than what's necessary. And we neglect the invitation. So that's what the Jews did, the, the Jewish leaders. They made light of it. And the rest, verse 6, is even more incredible. The rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. They were hostile, like, don't it? We didn't answer the first time. We're not answering the second time. We don't want you coming back, so we're going to kill you. Imagine if you did that to telemarketers. Stop inviting me. And, and we know that's the story of the apostles. That's the story of the church who continue to invite Jew and Gentile, slave and free. So what happens when the king... Oh, by the way, one more thing. Notice when he sends out the uh, servants uh, the second time, uh, or the, no, actually, no, I'm sorry, the third time. Let's do verse 7, then we'll see what, what I'm talking about here because actually I do know what I'm talking about. Uh, verse 7, But when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Again, prophetic about the destruction of Jerusalem, called his armies. It's not just the Roman armies. The Roman armies were under God's command to do what they did. They were God's armies. He is the Lord of hosts or armies. But he doesn't send them out this third time to, to these armies to force them to come. All right, they wouldn't come. Now they will be forced to come. At this point, he's furious. God has a very long fuse. But eventually, the time of grace is over. It, Romans chapter 1 tells, tells us, and he gave them over to their debased minds. So there comes a time, you know, we, we, I love the, the love of God. But these guys, they had murdered his servants. They were murderers. And as they have sown, so will they reap. God is not going to force you to accept the invitation. I stand here as one of his servants, or sit here, inviting you 
to join in the celebration, to come to the feast, to be part of eternity. But God is not going to force you. We're not going to compel you by force to come. Nor was he going to compel them by force. Uh, Verse 8. Then he said to his servants, now he's got a problem. The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Why were they not worthy? And would you say, am I not worthy? I mean, am I not worthy as, as well? I mean, is it, was it a matter of their education? Was it a matter of their economics? Was it a matter of, uh, you know, anything like that? Why were they not worthy? They were not worthy simply because they rejected the invitation. That was it. They didn't want to come. They weren't worthy to come. But now here he's sitting in the, with huge wedding hall with the banquet ready, with the fatted calf, the barbecue's cooking. You know, I mean, it smells great. There's lots of food and nobody is there. And the answer to this, the answer this, uh, this is, that is given in this parable, the question is if the Jews reject God, if they don't make it, then who can make it? If these righteous looking Pharisees with their education, their knowledge of God and all of these things, if they don't make it, then who in the world can be saved? And this is going to answer that question. So what do we do? I mean, the wedding's ready. The people invited weren't worthy. Therefore, the answer is, verse 9, go into the highways and as many as you can find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. Hey, servants, uh, the ones who were the, uh, the privileged guests, the ones who were first invited, the message goes to the Jew first, and then to who? The Gentile. Because they rejected it, because they rejected him, the offer is then extended to us, the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. Read Romans chapter 9, 10, 11. This parable is really explained by Romans 9, 10, and 11. I won't get into that now, but they, they go hand in hand. So he goes out to the highways, uh, to the crossroads. Man, sitting again on the downtown mall, I was thinking if, if I began to hand out invitations to a buffet for free. Hey, come to a buffet, free food, all you can eat. Enjoy. It's actually a royal buffet. So, yeah, I mean, okay, sure, I'll come. What, what time? Where is it? You know, if you're working, if you've, got, if you've got a job and you're invited to this royal wedding, you go, man, I'm going to call in sick. I'm going to get the day off. I'm going to this thing. And I know how you guys feel about food. You know, you can't, get, you can't beg people to come to prayer, but have a potluck and man, boom, people are there. We love food. And it tastes so much better when it's free, doesn't it? Man, it tastes so good when it's free. And who are the people? Who are the people that are being invite, invited? Both bad and good. Don't be discriminating. Don't, be, uh, don't show any partiality when you're there inviting guys. Don't just look for the best looking people. And I know people that see Calvary Chapel get confused because they think God only invites the best looking. You know, but it's not that way. Invite the bad and the good. This is what gives us the call to prison ministry. To the homeless shelters, invite the bad and the good, and to the university. To the prison and the university. Both. Don't be discriminating. Don't be discerning that way. Just invite them. And there I was in the downtown mall thinking, look at all the variety of people down here. There was 
uh, a guy with, with um, cerebral palsy in a wheelchair. Yeah, come on, you want to come to the feast? Absolutely. Uh, th- there were people of every race, all kinds of dress. I mean, you see all kinds of stuff in the downtown mall. That is the, the crossroads of culture, isn't it, down there? There's some of every kind there. And God looks at them all and says, you know what? The people who I had extended the invitation to wouldn't come. I've got all this food. Come and enjoy it with me. And so ultimately, it was filled, right? The the hall was filled. So now the hall is filled. The people are ready. The the king comes in to see the guests. Let me see who, who has come to the wedding for my son, the celebration. And he sees an interesting man there who stands out among all the rest. He sees this man. And what, is, what makes this guy stand out? It's not something he has. It's something he doesn't have. What is it? It's a wedding garment. He doesn't have a wedding garment. They had been called off the streets. They didn't have time to go home and, and, and change clothes maybe. They were compelled to come because the soup was on. And so the king, uh, and it doesn't really say how everyone else had the garment. But evidently, everyone else got the memo or it was given to them by the king. It's is likely that when they came to the wedding, they were given a garment, something to wear. Because these were thieves and, and traitors and tax collectors and the whole nine yards. And so they all have on their wedding garments. Everybody else has, ha, is dressed right. And these were the bad and the good, right? That all have on the same outer garment. But he sees this guy that stands out and says, hey, hey, everybody else is dressed this way, but you're not. What, 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 what's going on? He says, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And, and the guy was speechless. It means he had, he had no answer, no excuse. He didn't say, well, you know, um, I took it to the cleaners and uh, it, it, it got lost there. Or, uh, you know, I'm, just, I'm, I'm a poor man and I can't afford a wedding garment. Uh, he doesn't offer any excuses. He knows he should have had it. And so as the king approached him, he's just like, uh, 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 speechless. He's busted. And he was, he was speechless. Verse 13, then the king said to the servants, this seems so harsh, doesn't it? Bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. For there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So everyone is at the wedding. This guy got closer. You know, there were some that just were careless. They could care less. There were some that were hostile toward the invitation and those that were inviting them. And then this guy was all all the way there. He could see, he he could smell the food. He could see the dancing. And, And yet it's discovered he doesn't have a garment. So the question we all ask is, what's the garment? And they would have had a cultural understanding of this special wedding garment that would have been put on out of respect for the king and and the best thing i can say and and what most people would say is just a a direct reference to isaiah chapter 61 let me go there you don't have to to mark this yourself Um, but a fantastic verse in isaiah 61 that that makes an allusion to this idea here give me a second to get there I think it's Isaiah 61.10. You're welcome to, to follow me there if you like. Isaiah 61.10 says this. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. 
as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. So what is that garment? It is righteousness. It is Christ's perfect righteousness that we then put on and then that does change our outward appearance, doesn't it? This idea that we, we receive the righteousness of Christ but then there's also the idea that we live that out daily on a day-to-day basis. There, it does create a difference in us from other people. And so some would say that what this guy represents is those that have come, they've received the invitation, they're sitting in a, church, in a, in a school gym on a Sunday morning. And yet, they may, maybe this guy could have said, you know, why, why did you not accept the garment? Well, I felt like what I had on was good enough. I didn't need anything else. You know, I just was hungry and I didn't, I didn't need it. I'm okay. I'm fine. Just like I am. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're here and, and you're, you're listening and you're participating in some, on some level, but not on a deeper level. In other words, God is, is offering something to you. He's offering to you righteousness. And you're saying, I'm a good person. I'm fine. Just like I am. Because the Bible tells us to put on Christ. Since we have put off the old man with his deeds, we put on Christ. And because we put on Christ, we put on the deeds that go with him. So we put him on by faith. We accept him. We identify with him. And then that changes the way we live, doesn't it? Putting away lying. We speak the truth to one another. We don't let the sun go down in our anger. We deal with people with loving kindness and those types of differences. So this outer garment, uh, some would say these are the hypocrites in the church. Those that have refused to accept Christ's righteousness for themselves. Still hanging on to the fact that they are good people and going to go to heaven because of, of their own works or, or something like that. And so the answer the king says uh, to bind him hand and foot take him away, why would he be bound and, and cast? The light, they didn't have street lights, so the light was where the party was, the, the lanterns were lit. To be cast out of the party was to be cast into outer darkness. And always biblically a reference to hell. And he's there bound. In other words, he ain't getting out. He's not, this is not, you know, the one speechless guy is not Harry Houdini. He's going to somehow undo his shackles. And many of you know there's been an interesting book that we've talked about, uh, Rob Bell's book, uh, Love Wins. As a matter of fact, a local church is going to be doing a Bible study on that book. And I spoke with the pastor via email about that. And, uh, and in that book, the idea is that eventually love wins and everyone is saved. This parable does not teach that love wins. Love wants to win. Love wants to win your soul to eternity. The problem is not with love. The problem is with the human rejection of it. The human rejection of God's love. That's the problem. And in this parable, for this man who was closer than anyone else, love didn't win because he refused to put on what was provided for him by God. Again, dealing with God's authority in his life. You you can't choose how you want to be saved. One doesn't come one way. The Bible says Jesus is the way the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through Him. And that there is only one mediator between man and God. And that is the man, Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. So, and then finally, verse 14, now we understand the context. 
For many are called, but few were chosen. Many had resisted the grace of God. They had heard the invitation, not once but twice, and they had rejected it. Then there's those that had killed the servants, and then there are those that didn't have on the ground. All of those had rejected, had neglected, had been careless about the invitation, but then there are those that that are there at the party celebrating, dressed appropriately in, in the righteousness of Christ, and, uh, and, and there they are. And they are few in these. And you know what, folks? They're going to be fewer. They're going to be fewer uh, as the days come toward the end. So let's go on. We have one more story to look at. Verse 15 picks up. The Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians. That's just a, uh, a political group that was loyal to Herod and Herod's dynasty. Um, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God and truth, nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? So the Pharisees, who who have been against him, who have been opposed to him uh, all along, they have been a thorn in his flesh in a lot of ways, as he has been in theirs, And now they are uh, plotting how they're going to entangle him in his talk. They're trying to catch him in his words. If you've ever watched a news interview, not too long ago, Franklin Graham was interviewed uh, by a news team and he was asked questions about Barack Obama's salvation. And oh, once you get into that kind of conversation, it is quicksand. The more you try to talk, the deeper it gets. And poor, I felt bad for Franklin Graham. He really got trapped in his words. Whatever you say, they can and will use it against you. In, in the media, and they're trying to create a story. So they, uh, th- and that's what they're trying to do with Christ. They're trying to get him to say something where they can go, ah, see, we'll catch you in that. They don't care about the answer. They're just trying to catch Jesus in his words. And people still do that today, right? They read the Bible and say, well, you see, there's all these contradictions in the Bible. We still, people try to catch Jesus in his words. So the disciples come and, and they butter him up. Hey, Jesus, we know you're, you're true and you teach the way of God and truth and, you know, blah, blah, blah. They're, they're buttering him up. And so here's the question. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And this was a hot-button topic. Uh, in their mind, this is a divisive issue. Jesus is stuck. Because either way he answers, he's going to alienate somebody. If he says that um, they should pay taxes to Caesar... You guys okay? Everything? Okay. All right. If they say that they should pay taxes to Caesar, then the Jews aren't going to like that, right? It'll be okay. It'll be okay. So let's see if we can get back, back to focus here. If, um, if he says, yes, we need to pay taxes to Caesar, that would have been an affront to the Jews. And if he says, no, we don't have to pay taxes to Caesar, that would have been an affront to the Romans. So Jesus is stuck. He's either going to get himself in trouble with the Romans or he's going to get himself in trouble with the Jews. So they've got him stuck. Now, his answer to this is absolutely fascinating. Verse 18, Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius. He didn't even have the tax money himself. Somebody, hey, can somebody loan me a penny here? Bring the denarius to me. And he asked this question. 
whose image and inscription is this? So he looks at the coin, and you know, just like our money, there are the, the head uh, of different presidents or around the world, different rulers, kings. They put their own mug on the coin, on the currency. It means it belongs to them. It's part of their kingdom. And so if you became the king uh, of an area, you would immediately begin to have new money printed with now your picture on it. So he says, whose inscription is on this coin? They said, Caesar's. But Jesus said to them, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. So (laughs) he stymies them instead of the vice versa. Uh, But an interesting answer, isn't it? Do you get what Jesus is trying to say? The word render, if you want to take notes, literally means to give back. To give back. The denarius, it's money, it's a thing of the world, it belongs to Caesar. You know what? Give it back to him. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Now, we've marked Genesis chapter 1, so just go there for a second with me. And we'll come to a close in just a minute. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 25. Because then after he says, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, he then says, give to God what belongs to God. What does he mean by that? How do you know what belongs to Caesar? Because his image is on it. Now look at verse 25 of Genesis 1. And God made the beasts of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. So God used and made a pattern for every animal. And then, and then those animals would reproduce after their own kind. There, you know, there were no intermediate species and those kind of things. And you know, I don't know, still don't know what people do with the platypus. He kind of, I think God invented the platypus just to confuse scientists because he's all messed up. Uh, but, but then a platypus gives rise to another platypus. And everything in the world, an oak tree gives rise to an oak tree. And a cherry tree gives rise to a cherry tree. A tomato plant gives tomatoes. And so on and so on and so forth. And everything according to its kind. It's the way it's always been. It's the way it always will be. It's a law of nature. Things reproduce according to their kind. And you can always tell what kind it is because it looks like the kind that it was made from and came from. It's, I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure this out, right? Now look at verse 26 because something changes. Then when God gets to making mankind, he says, let us make man in our image. Let us make man in our image. So who was the pattern for you? God was. God let himself, the Trinity, really, be a pattern when he created you. That's why you do what you do. That's why you like to create. We were born to love like him. You know, that, that image got messed up in chapter 3, but it's still there. We're emotional people. God has emotion. You know, it's not, don't think merely in terms of the physical Because we tend to think in terms of, well, does God have two arms, two legs, nose, two eyes? God is spirit. But yet in character, in substance, in essence, we are like him. Because he created us and our image is from him. He created us in his image. So when we go back then to this 
answer that Jesus gives. Here's the great truth. You know, you get so concerned with, with uh, taxes and money and things like that and lobbying about laws and all that. And I'm not saying that that is wrong, but there's a greater truth here, isn't there? They're worried about who do we give taxes to. Jesus says, I'm worried about who you give yourself to. Who are, you are God's. He made you. And he bought you. And you are his. And the question this morning is, have you given yourself back to him? Have you rendered to God what belongs to him? Look, when I went to the Smithsonian Institute a number of years back, saw a quote on the wall where they had all the evolution uh, paraphernalia and, 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 and uh, demonstrations and all that. And, and it said, if we don't know where, we're, where we've come from, we can't know where we're going. And I said amen to that as I walked through the exhibit and realized they didn't know where they'd come from. And so there's no way they could know where they were going. But we know where we've come from. And that's the real issue. Look, we are special. We are different than the animals. We are unique in all of God's creation because we are created in His image. Amen? This is why children are so earthbound. Because they've been taught that they are from the earth. And I'm telling you all this morning, and the kids in here too, that you are from God. And you will never be fully satisfied until you give yourself back to Him. Amen? Amen. Now, as we close up, I'm going to invite the praise team up. Uh, we're going to close with a, um, a final song of celebration. I'm not going to do a formal invitation. I think you've had a formal invitation enough from the King Himself. So please, as with every Sunday, if this word has touched your heart, as we close out the service, before you go down the hall to get some cake and things, just come up. Uh, not, we won't make you do it publicly in front of everybody, but just come up and say, hey, you know, what you were talking about from God's word, that really impacted me. And I really feel like I need today to answer that that invitation to God. I need to give myself back to Him. So, uh, just by way of final word, Second uh, Peter chapter 1 says, look, folks, if you're worried that you're the guy without the garment, Peter says, be diligent to make your call and election sure. Be diligent to make sure that there's no question about who you are and who you belong to. By serving the Lord, by following Him, by obeying Him, by living for Him, by giving yourself to Him, by giving yourself away for him. Amen? Let's stand and we'll uh, sing a final song.